Greetings, welcome, and good day. You are now tuned into the 13th episode of the Season Vet Podcast. I'm so happy you can make it to another chapter of this show. This week, we're joined by a trailblazing member of Coast Guard royalty, a barrier-breaking member of Black history, and an iconic member of the E9 Club. Command Master Chief Rashawn Morris began her career as the only black woman on the Coast Guard Honor Guard while she served. She went on to become a yeoman and had the pleasure of working under the late Master Chief Angela McShann, who now has a cutter named after her. Master Chief Morris wrapped up her career by having a retirement ceremony so unique that even amidst a global pandemic, it was still a topic of discussion at the flag officers meeting the following week. With a career this majestic, it's no wonder her favorite Beyonce song is Halo. (laughs) Over the course of her 34-year career, Master Chief Morris managed to rack up over 50 ribbons and medals to show for her work. And after making her grand exit, Master Chief Morris has kept busy by providing mentorship to a group of young girls. Now, in 2016, Master Chief Morris made Coast Guard history by becoming the first African-American, man or woman, service member to hold the position of the first Coast Guard District's Reserve Command Master Chief. That's why it's my privilege and my delight to name this episode The Gold Standard. friend <laughs> so master chief um is, is it okay if i call you that or is there another name you would Rashad. prefer you can call me Rashawn. it doesn't matter i'm good <laughs> seriously all right well uh Rashawn, if if i may ask what is your connection to the service what uh so mm-hmm. my connection to the service is you know through the coast guard which i joined way back in 1987 get it um that's my connection to the the service nice so do you have any family that was in this in the service uh were you the first of your uh of your lineage (laughs) to serve uh so i had we called a play cup i didn't know she was in the coast guard until she showed up at my school while working home with her recruiter uh just out of boot camp and i was in the sixth grade and she showed up at my school for career day, and that's how I was introduced for the first time to the Coast Guard. So that was your play cousin that showed up to your school when you were in sixth grade, and she was in the Coast Guard? Yes. Wow. Uh, she, she had just joined the Coast Guard and was fresh out of boot camp. I'm from the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri, so never heard of the Coast Guard nor saw the Coast Guard uh, where I grew up until, you know, and being introduced in the sixth grade. Kansas City, my goodness, is is there any coast around there? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, not really, no, there's rivers and lakes and that's about it, so uh, no chance of, outside of her, there was no chance I probably would have heard of the coast guard. All right, well, good for you and good for her. Were there any second choices of branch that you would have joined if not for the coast guard? The Air Force was probably number two. Okay. But Coast Guard was definitely number one. And then and, and since then, my younger cousin, probably about seven or so years ago, joined the Coast Guard. So it's been the three of us. Man, y'all are a Coast Guard family from the Midwest. That is wild. <laughs> it is. Not the norm, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Rashawn, how do you uh, feel about your time in uniform? Does any particular time period stand out to you? I would say the beginning and the end. Love the middle as well, but <laughs> going into the ceremonial honor guard uh, was, I mean, I was elated to be able to be a part of that. I loved every bit of it, as challenging as it was, and it was just a great foundation. 
one of the things that stands out is, you know, kind of our ethos was being in the honor guard because it was all about excellence, was not just your time in the honor guard, but moving forward as well. So it was a commitment to excellence as a way of life. So for me, that was a really good foundation. And my last tour in the Coast Guard, just having the amazing opportunity as a gold badge to, you know, kind of cast that net wide to make a greater impact before I departed was the biggest responsibility, but the biggest reward as well. So That's amazing, Rashawn. You were in the honor guard? I was and loved it. Was the only African American female. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yes. And so I got a lot of crash courses uh, in a lot of things fast uh, coming in at 18. Wow. I guess now's a good time to tell our listeners Miss Morris, Master Chief Rashad, is a tall lady. Is, I'm looking at her profile. She's a tall, pretty lady as well. <laughs> so. well thank you. Thank Absolutely. You very much. So this whole honor guard thing, yeah, that's actually very, I guess, normal for a person that you're, look, as a lifelong short, um, you have my jealousy forever. Oh, thank you very much. That's the first time I appreciated being tall, uh, was joining the honor guard, because I was on the short end of the, of the height there, so. You were first time short. Yes, I was like, no, I'm tall, not here, so. Right on. You went from honor guard to gold badge. That's phenomenal. What was your job while in? What was your rate? So I was a yeoman. Um, Get it. Yo, hold on. Because we have a friend in common and he left that part out. Uh, Tyrone Anderson, you owe me. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Tyrone. I know Tyrone very well. Yeah. He's the reason I reached out to you. Of course, he spoke highly of you. He speaks highly of a lot of people. But he left that part out. Like, he left out the part where you were a yeoman. Because I look for yeoman. <laughs> I can't believe this man. <laughs> Tyrone oh, Anderson, how dare you? <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yes, he left out a, a, a critical detail. He did. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop tripping now. <laughs> All right. Fellow yeoman. Love it. Hey, you got out before. I'm sorry. When did you get out? Um, I was officially retired August 1st of 2021. 2021? Master Chief, you were in during the pandemic? I was. Yo, that means your retirement ceremony had to have been in like maybe May or June, something like that? Well, believe it or not, my retirement ceremony was in October of the previous year. Uh, wow. My, I was supposed to be retiring uh, technically October of 1st, but just before that, um, I had a shoulder injury, and they basically told me that I needed to be retained in the Coast Guard, but everything was all set in stone for my ceremony. All the work had been done, so we went on ahead with my ceremony, and then I was kind of low-key uh, healing from my surgery, you know, from January uh, up until the end of July of the following year. Wow. I'm sorry about your shoulder injury. Are you, are you oh, no, better now? You. But, uh, it, it is. Um, but technically my retirement ceremony was even more in the trenches of, you know, the pandemic because it was in October of the previous year. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, just 
networking is so important. One of a, a really good command master chief down at the air station in Cape Cod extended an invitation for me to have my ceremony there because of the hangar doors. And within the pandemic, because the hangar doors are so big, if they're open, it's not considered indoors. Mm-hmm. And so I was not limited with who I could invite. So it was, um, someone said between two and 300 people there. Wow, split out, oh my of God. Course, but it was, it was great. They gave me an incredible send-off. That is incredible. Wow. Master Chief, that's, that's quite a retirement story. Oh, it was, I don't know if I've ever felt so loved. Uh, they even had an all-female, as a favor, uh, they had an all-female honor guard, color guard team sent up from the ceremonial honor guard in D.C. I'd never seen all-female uh, color guard detail within the ceremonial honor guard in D.C., and they sent them up uh, to do colors in my ceremony. And as a bigger surprise, they sent a, a five-man drill team to perform in my ceremony. Wow. Because of my, I was, I think at that time, I was the most senior person still in the Coast Guard that had served in the honor guard, so... <laughs> I was very, very blessed that they that they did that for me. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. I was told by the District One DXR that the following week the flag they have a flag um, conference call every every week and uh, with all of the flag officers and my ceremony was a matter of discussion in the, in the <laughs> flag conference, so I thought that was pretty cool. I've, I've never heard anything like this, Master Chief. That is the no, most... No, neither, neither had I. I still run into people that were there, and they, were, they tell me, I've never seen a retirement ceremony like that. Admiral Tianson, who was the admiral that I uh, was probably the closest to, he flew in from Florida to be my guest speaker. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, the, the VIPs that showed up, uh, the Master Chief of the Coast Guard, he spoke at my ceremony. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. Jason Vander Hayden. Um, so it was great. I mean, like I said, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better than that. That is. In the best way. That is phenomenal. Man. This sounds better than the officer ceremonies that I've been at, <laughs> that I've oh, had to serve at. <laughs> yeah. It was beyond anything I could have ever expected. So my, my project officer, I will bow to him every time I see him. He is, he's my hero. <laughs> Master Chief, I'm, I'm sorry I keep calling you this. <laughs> it's it's slipping at this point. So no, no, I get it. I <laughs> I still call certain people. I'm like I I don't know. It's going to take a long time for me to not call certain people by their rank, even after they've left and asked me many times. You don't need to call me that. I'm like okay. <laughs> you just you're such a big deal. I can't help it. Like like truly, I've never met you as a Master Chief. I've only met you as of today and I consider us to be friends now. Uh, but, but, but you are such a big deal. Like the whole master chief thing, it keeps slipping. So sorry, but also not sorry. No, no. No, thank you. That's very kind of you. Of course. Of course. How do you think your uh, experience in the military could have been improved or could it have been? I think it could have definitely been improved. I would say, I was literally just telling my daughter yesterday, money never motivated me. I kind of wish it did, but uh, (laughs) it never motivated me. So when I first came in, uh, you know, I tell my daughter, don't get comfortable, you know, continue to push forward. So 
when I first came in, you know, I was loving being in the honor guard, but as far as getting promoted to E3, uh, I wasn't even thinking excelling in the job instead of excelling as far as a career goes. So I ended up being one of the more senior semen apprentices. And, and But once I saw other people coming in after me getting promoted before me, I said, oh, no, I've got to kick it into gear and uh, this is not good, you know. And so, and, and I say that because in the honor guard, uh, you you know, unlike going from boot camp to, you know, a cutter or going to, a, you know, a small boat station, we didn't have to wait six months to uh, get promoted to East 3. We didn't have to get practical signed off. All we had to do was take the test, take the test and pass it, and we can get promoted. So I didn't have those obstacles, and yet I got complacent. I wish it wouldn't have taken other people getting ahead of me to be that motivator to excel, but once, you know, the light was lit under my rear end, uh, <laughs> I was good after that. But, you know, so that's probably one thing that could have been different um, had I had, you know, maybe good mentorship. Right on. So you were the, the senior ranking E2? <laughs> uh, it seemed to be. Uh, <laughs> as, a punishment, as a punishment, they make you be the, you know, go on the gate guard. Oh, uh, which I did, and you'd have thought that would have done it too. But uh, <laughs> once I started seeing people getting promoted before me, I was like, "Oh shoot, I I gotta kick it into gear. I gotta start studying." So, yeah, uh, looking at the the younger me, I'm like, "Wow, what was I thinking?" Shake well, my head. Look, you retired as a master chief. This clearly didn't slow much down. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Master chief. Tell me about a time you experienced something, either good or bad, that you know to be unique to you because you are a black woman. I would say early on when I was in the honor guard, unfortunately, one of the non-rates that I was, it was lots of non-rates there in the honor guard, but one of them in particular, I do believe, you know, obviously I can't say definitively, but... Uh, there wasn't a large number of women in the honor guard, very small number, maybe 10% if that or less. And I was the only, as I mentioned, African-American woman. And one of the guys there that I, I didn't even know, because as a, as a junior person, you know, you, you really didn't hang out with the senior non-rates because you were sort of like the freshman with the seniors. It just didn't happen. So this person wasn't in my circle at all. But he proceeded to say horrible things about me and not the other women, but I didn't even know him, nor did we even have any kind of friendship relationship. And uh, I happened to be talking to a friend of mine at a, from another branch of service because we did a lot of joint service ceremonies. And he explained to me that basically this person had painted me out to be a $5 prostitute. Wow. And, uh, you know, and it, I mean, if it was even partially true, that would have been something, but it couldn't have been the furthest from the truth. Uh, and I thought, and he, you know, they told me this guy is not your friend. And I'm thinking, why would he say something so horrific about me and no one else, you know, within, you know, the women? And the only thing that was different for me than the other women was the color of my skin. So, you know, definitively, is that why? I don't know. I think he had an issue with women, but I think he had an issue with, you know, me as a black woman even more so but you know i obviously couldn't prove it but that's how I, that's how i felt all right you're not gonna say definitively but i will and uh also 
forgive my language, but fuck this guy. I hate him. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was unfortunate. I do not like him. He's trash. Did anything ever transpire from that? Did you report it? Were, were, so, that, so, yeah, I did. And, and that kind of goes into one of your other questions. You oh, know, I did okay. report it. I did report it. And I felt like I had to keep coming back to, you know, the, the leadership that I was reporting it to. Has anything happened? Has anything transpired? That transparency was not there. Uh, and then ultimately, they made him go to sexual harassment classes because obviously sexual harassment was kind of new on the circuit. That it wasn't a lot of discussion about that back in you know the, the the late '80s. And they made him go to sexual harassment classes and gave him a negative page seven. And I thought that was okay until fast forward. You know, sometime later, we had an African American male in the honor guard that did something very similar to one of the white women in the honor guard. They sent him to math. They kicked him off of his A school list. Wow. uh, Suspended bus down to E2. So when I heard all of that. He got a real uh, punishment. Yes. I was content until this other person. And then, you know, of course, I couldn't help but wonder why did he get such a severity? Is it, you know, obviously there's, different people in charge by the time he came. So, um, you know, why the disparity there? Because it's a huge disparity uh, with the punishment. One was black, one was white. Granted, it was different leadership, and some people will do their job and some people won't. So, you know, but it definitely left an imprint, for sure. Definitely. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'm surprised this white guy got any punishment for it to be in the late 80s. Um, yeah. this was still an era where things were getting brushed under the, uh, under the rug. So uh-huh. I understand w- un- until you told that second story, we were both content with the first story. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> You're right. And then I hear about this other person and I'm like, Oh my, well, wait a minute. That's right. That there was more that could have been done. Guy, and, yeah. yeah. This guy got a slap on the wrist. That sounds exactly like the military today. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately unfortunately you're right that did kind of uh bring up the next question when you brought complaints to your chain of command do you feel that you were heard it sounds like a little bit yes a, a little bit heard um, i think if anything and, and i it, and it depends on the command but i we can definitely we meaning the organization do a better job of following up with victims you know victims should never have to seek to find out what the status is. Right. You know, there should be someone, you know, there, you know, making sure that they're heard and felt cared for uh, with whatever they may be going through. Agreed. Agreed. All right. In the beginning of your career, when you needed guidance and mentorship, were those resources provided or did you have to seek them out? They definitely weren't provided. You kind of had to (laughs) figure it out, you know. Take what you can from whoever you can. Mentorship was definitely not discussed. And you just kind of had to had to figure it out. Make it make it make your career your own and do the best you can and seek out advice if you want. But I didn't have experiences where people were taking me under their wing early on in my career. Because your first duty station was honor guard. Uh-huh. All right. So it looks like the opportunity could have been there, but simply was not. Right. And I think the only time my, I would say my first unofficial 
mentor. I had several unofficial mentors in my career later on, but uh, early on, Mr. Matoyer, which I still call him Mr. Matoyer, <laughs> uh, but he was a, I think he was a JG when I was in the Honor Guard, and uh, I loved the Honor Guard so much so that when it was time to go to A school, I didn't want to go just yet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, can I stay longer? And he said, you know, no, it's time. You know, you, it's time to move forward in your career. It's time to get promoted. Um, you know, this is not an advancement in your career to stay here. Uh, so that was the best thing he could have done for me. Uh, best thing. And ironically, I ran into him. That was in... 1989 I didn't see him again and ran into him I believe it was in 2019 as a master chief and I was able to give him one of my coins to say thank you for being the phenomenal mentor that you were early in my career so come on 30 30 plus years later what a lovely story jeez yeah never forget him (laughs) you gave him a coin that that must have that must have rocked his socks (laughs) I don't know how much it meant to him, but it meant a lot to me to to give him that and to say thank you for just giving me, you know, doing something for me, better for me than I would have done for myself. And I needed that uh, to continue to move forward. Right on. And he was an African-American as well. He was probably the first African-American OIC in charge of the honor guard. Okay, thank you for bringing that up. I should have asked, <laughs> was this a brother? It was, yes. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay, village. Uh, which brings yeah. us <laughs> which brings us to the next one. Have you been able to make friends with other Black Lady veterans? And were you purposeful about building your village? Well, being in Boston, I would say those numbers are very limited. <laughs> um, very limited. Uh, with I uh, honestly, I I think the first time I ever met a senior military woman enlisted, we were both senior chiefs. So it it, it took that long for me to even come in contact with someone of the senior rank. So even in Boston, not not that they're not here, but I definitely don't see a lot of uh, African-American veterans um, that are women. I do, however, you know, as far as growing my village with mentorship, um, I started mentoring a teen girl group. I created a group nine years ago and originally, you know, for my daughter, but my daughter aged out of it and just there was such a great need to continue it. So I've continued to do that uh, to date. And then a few years ago, I had another person come on board basically and start co-leading it with me. So probably 80% African American uh, teen girls, and uh, and it's been it's been great, very rewarding. Lovely. Uh, but just to go back a little bit, did you say that you were a senior ranking enlisted woman before you met before you were able to that make friends correct. with with other Black women? So let me rephrase that. As a as a seaman, I'm sorry. As a E4, mm-hmm. um, I had the pleasure of serving with a first class, can count on one hand how many African-American women. Uh, As a seaman, we had an African-American first class on the base. As a third class, I worked with an African-American first class, and then uh, two first classes, and one went on to make chief, Angela McShann, who you may have heard of, a very, you know, 
famous in the Coast Guard because she was the first African-American woman to make Master E9 in the Coast Guard. But I had the pleasure of working with her. Nice. But, and, and that was as an E4. So after that, no one African-American that I worked directly with until, or really kind of was saw what, until I became a senior enlisted uh, person myself. Even as a yeoman, that's that's very interesting to hear because the yeoman rate and the storekeeper rate are like the heaviest black lady rates in the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you weren't exactly. even able, and you weren't even able to meet other black women within your own rate as a yeoman. And this is no. one of this is a once again a black lady heavy rate. Wow. Yes. It, yeah, it was as I you know I think and especially like I said in Boston in the Boston area. Seeing someone that was a chief or above would have been an anomaly, wow. unfortunately. So you were in Boston your uh, whole career? No, I came in Boston in 94, never planned to stay, uh, <laughs> but continued to get moved around within the New England area. So, so the majority of my career was in the, the, the first district. So from 94 to 2021, you were in Boston or, or the Boston area? Um, I, I was in, yes, uh, other than two years in Maryland during that time, I was, I was in, you know, between Massachusetts, yeah, within Massachusetts, because I was in Woods Hole for a period, but the majority of my career has been in District 1. Jeez, Master Chief, they really did not want you to see California. Uh, no. Or Texas. I left California, (laughs) I didn't, I tried to go back and it didn't happen. (laughs) No, you're staying here. What? <laughs> like for the, your whole yeah. career. <laughs> wow. Yes. So you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You no know, <laughs> one could have told me that I was going to be staying in Boston. Look, they, they didn't show you any other coast except the East Coast <laughs> to um, be I the Coast that. Guard. I, I know. <laughs> the I Coast Guard said, Rashawn, this is the only coast you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know. I was, in, I was in Petaluma for three years, and once I left, Petaluma never got a chance to come back west. Wow. That's a lot of rain and uh, cold weather. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, it sure is. Master Chief, tell me a war story. Tell me about a time that you were tested but came out on top. I could tell you many. Yeah, Uh, I'm here for it. Tell me all you want. But I will share one, which is the one that I probably try to share because it's still, unfortunately, a, a challenge in the military. Unfortunately, as a non-rate as well, I served, when, as I was about to go uh, to A school, uh, they gave me an opportunity to come over to the admin office uh, to kind of learn a little bit, get a little, you know, OJT before going to Yeoman A school. And uh, unfortunately, that I worked with over there, uh, abused his power, and was uh, sexually harassing to include myself. Uh, it was a you know a, a horrible position to be in as a 20 year old, and this person had to have been in their 40s or so at the time, and so it was just horrible. And even after a certain period, I found out that I could go back over to the honor guard, and I said, you know what, I don't have to stay here. I'm out of here. But unfortunately, at that time, I didn't feel like I had a voice that would be heard when this person as a chief petty officer was very well respected on the base. 
you know, I felt like he practically walked on water. So uh, for me, I had to, you know, suffer in silence and just, you know, it was about survival. I'm going to go back over to the honor guard. I'll keep my mouth shut. And I just want to, you know, finish my time out and then leave. And even when I decided to go back over to the honor guard and he learned that I was going back over, he was very upset and proceeded to say as many negative things about me that he could, and primarily that I would never make it in the Coast Guard, I would never make it as a yeoman. So for me, once I left there, I never thought about him other than when I got promoted. Every time I got promoted, I remember I could hear his voice in my ear saying, you'll never make it. So for me, it was kind of self-pride that you said I would never make it, and I'm making E5, and now I'm making E6, and then E7, and then so on. So for me, the victory was, excuse me, not allowing this individual's opinion of me to define who I was. I've never seen him since then, uh, and unfortunately, I never talked about it for over 30 years. However, what made me decide to talk about it was going to a, I was at probably, I think it was in 2019, earlier in the year, I was at a Dare to Lead workshop, and while in the workshop, this commander was speaking, and she said she was on sitting on the plane with an E5 next to her, a male, he asked her the bizarre question, have you ever been, do you get sexually harassed every day? And she thought, what? What kind of question is that? And so she asked him, why would he ask that? And he said, well, one of my shipmates, she gets sexually harassed every day, and so I just thought that was something that women go through. And for her, that was kind of a, a wake-up call, like, oh, my gosh, I was sexually harassed earlier in my career. I thought things had gotten better, but they hadn't. I've only promoted out of it. Nobody's doing that in front of me as a commander. And so when she said that, I couldn't help going to go back to a women's leadership symposium that I had just attended where a junior petty officer was sharing about many women telling her, 80% of her unit uh, was telling her that they had gone through some sexual harassment. And I looked at her in disbelief, like, really, 80%? That's kind of a lot. So remembering that story and hearing the commander talk, I said, oh, my gosh, it's still happening. But nobody's doing it in front of me as an E9. And yet I didn't believe this young lady that it was 80% of her unit that had been sexually harassed. So as I came back from that Dare to Lead workshop and began to share that story and my kind of eye-opening experience, woman after woman after woman was sharing about their sexual harassment experience. And I thought, and you could still see the pain that was there. So fast forward, I'm at the flag conference where you've got all of the admirals You've got all of the gold badges. You've got all of the senior civilians there. And I was tasked to be on the panel, uh, a small number of us gold badges, uh, to have a gold badge conference, a gold badge panel in front of all the all of the uh, admirals. And, and we, we would share something that was kind of maybe on our heart, and then we can op- we'd open it up the floor to them. So I was initially not happy that I had gotten selected again because I'm like, I did it last year. <laughs> What about some of these other gold badges? But when I thought about it, I said, you know what? I don't believe in coincidences. I know exactly what I need to talk about. I need to talk about sexual harassment because I've got the ear of every senior person in the Coast Guard in this room, including the combat and device commandant. 
But if I really want them to hear me, I need to start with my own story. So for the first time ever, I shared publicly my story along with some of the other ladies' stories because I felt like, you know what, many of them won't have this audience. I need to be a voice for them. And then I remember a senior civilian stood up and she was shaking as she shared her own story. And she said, Master Chief, how can we stop this? And I said, ma'am, I don't know how we can stop it, but I do know that we can continue to share our stories. So for me, being able to take that power back and now, and, and knowing that I was silent for 30 years, and now I need to speak up, I need to speak out, and I need to be that voice to hopefully encourage and inspire other women to be a voice too, for, you know, an advocate and, or, or whatnot. So uh, I feel like that's one story that I have to continue to share, especially considering I experienced it and I was silent for so long. That's the longer version of your question. That's a win, Master Chief. That was a win. Like you took uh, grapes and turned it into wine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And thank you for sharing that story as well. Thank you for sharing it, not just with me, but also with your audiences at those conferences. Thank you. That's incredibly important. Master Chief, do you feel that the way that you were treated improved with rank? And if so, do you think that improvement would have happened sooner had you been a different race and or gender? So, (laughs) sorry, I'm just digesting the question. No, go ahead. Um, Take your time. I, I do believe... People definitely treat you different with rank, 100%. You know, being in civilian clothes as opposed to being in uniform. When they don't know who you are, it's, it's a huge difference. You know, as far as African-American, I, I think, I'm sure I surprised people being African-American. You know, maybe especially if they didn't look at my first name. If they looked at my last name, I think it made a difference. You know, I think they made a difference. You know, people treated me different. People treated me a little bit better with my rank. Not that I was treated bad without the rank, but definitely better, 100%. I think I feel like not necessarily as an African-American, but as a woman, I felt like you have to be assertive. You have to look people in the eye. You have to be confident. And you don't speak with this very soft voice. You speak with a very assured voice if you want to be heard. And you don't sit there and wait for someone to kind of invite you to the table. You invite yourself. Because I felt like as a woman, if I didn't, you know, seem more confident or more assertive, even if I didn't always necessarily feel it, I would not be as heard. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. <laughs> Has there ever been a tough situation that you were in uh, where another sister helped you out, or a situation, or a situation where you helped out another sister? So I've not been in a situation where uh, I've had people help me out, but uh, unfortunately, just like I said, later on, you know, later on, meaning from E five and up, just didn't really have a lot of hardly had didn't really have any uh, african-american women in my life that were in the coast guard uh that were in a mentorship type of role however and again i didn't see a whole lot in the in you know massachusetts area but uh when given the opportunity especially if i uh, i can think of one woman in particular she was a single mom and she was looking to separate from the coast guard 
Uh, however, she didn't have any plans on what to do, any solid plans on what to do once she left. And I'm thinking, yes, is it difficult being a single mom in the Coast Guard? 100%. I'm a single mom in the Coast Guard. But actually it was a couple of women that I was thinking, I'm thinking of now that we're talking about it. Uh, so just really trying to encourage them to, if they don't have a solid plan, don't leave before they have a solid plan because it's not easy for anyone out there, especially as a single parent. You've got all the benefits and things like that. And there's, there's a lot more support here. You just have to, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the support may not knock on your door, but that's why networking is so important. Uh, even with my, my younger cousin that's in the Coast Guard now, uh, I tell her to, you know, be engaged go to every event that you can go to because networking is critical. You never know who you might meet, what resources you might stumble across that you can put in your back pocket to use later, but network, network, network. Um, and that's kind of what I tried to encourage her to do and to not, uh, she had a really bad command, so I think that was the, the motivating factor. And the thing that I did try to tell her was as an, e, as an E4, that was probably the worst command that I had in my career, and I thought about leaving the Coast Guard because of that command, but I'm so glad I didn't allow that command to rob me of amazing opportunities that I would have later. So sometimes it's difficult, but try to write out the commands. If you have a bad command, try to write them out because it's not going to be forever, and you don't want to make a decision that will impact the rest of your life because of some not-so-pleasant people, leaders you know, showing lack of leadership. Heard that. Bad commands don't last. Unfortunately, good commands don't last either. Nothing lasts forever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I was once told uh, if if there's something you like about the Coast Guard or if there's something you don't like about the Coast Guard, just wait. It'll change. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. (laughs) I am so sorry that you have not had a lot or that you didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of uh, black ladies while you were in. And once again, it's because probably because of your location. You keep... Saying that you, you, yeah, you were in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm thinking that's a very low black population, period. So uh, no, there's is. probably not we a lot of, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's very probably not well. a black, a lot of black people just fighting to go to Boston, Massachusetts. No, no. <laughs> I, I loved asking the question when I would meet people that would come up there. So oh, was this on your list? Did you, was this at the top? Because nine times out of 10, it wasn't. So. <laughs> And the Coast Guard yeah. just kept you there. They were like, no, we got one. Let's, let's keep yeah. her in place. <laughs> exactly. So when others would come, you're like wanting to hold, please stay. <laughs> stay with us, please. And, yeah. Oh, like, man. Nope. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with anything. But like, since you were a yeoman in the early 90s, did you work with uh, typewriters? <laughs> I did. I did. Yep, we had that. We sure did. And that's what we had to do in A school. We had to make sure we knew how to type, and and then we had typewriters in the office. It sounds so ancient now. So very old. No, uh, I feel like but, your typing yeah. skills may be better than uh, those those going through A school now. <laughs> oh, it was it was crazy. Uh, you had to you get you got time. You could only make so many mistakes. All yeah. that stuff. So. Oh, wow. It's interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> Tell me something you wish you had known before joining the service. Hmm. You know, I think I would say the networking piece was something that I figured out later. 
I would have loved to have known that early on because, again, I think it can create way more opportunities. I think something that I learned later on, I grasped it better later on, which I wish I would have known, you know, thought about it more, even though I was kind of doing it already, but uh, just the value of step, continuing to step outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. uh, because that's where the growth happens. Um, so, and then once you get comfortable there, continue to step out, um, be in a continual pursuit of, of that. Do you feel that you were a better leader than the ones you grew under? If you don't say yes to this, I'm going to hang up this phone right now, Rashawn. I swear to God. <laughs> well, you know, I would say in some ways, yes. Yes. Uh, in, in some ways, yes. Because yes. Uh, there were some leaders that, you know, I thought were fantastic. You know, uh, I will never forget them, you know, because they, you know, they were amazing leaders that really stood out in my, you know, in my career. So if anything, I stand on the shoulders of them. But of course, there were some others that uh, completely, you know, didn't do well with the power that they were given. Right on. You retired as a gold badge. You're one of a kind. I'm going to say that you were a better leader than the ones you grew up under. <laughs> this, oh, this is you. just I me looking from that. the outside. <laughs> yeah, you want to be the change that be the change that you wish you would have had, you know, in some cases. So Absolutely. That was my goal. Absolutely. Are there any sisters in service that inspire you? And they could be in any branch. They could be retired, active, whatever. Are there any sisters in service that inspire you? I would say yes. I'm thinking of three off the top of my head, and one would be Angela McShann. She was right on. Um, she was phenomenal. Mitzi Robinson. Okay. She was amazing, and someone that you just interviewed. <laughs> um, who was the first African American? A woman to uh, in the FS, SS, because she was an SS at one time, Lisa Smallwood. Um, she's Lisa Spotwood. Woman. I love Spotwood, her. Thank you. Thank I love you. her. She's she's not only a wonderful leader and a wonderful person, she's just a hoot. Like She's just nice to yes. talk to. Also she a Virgo. <laughs> yes, and, and as much as I have, you know, chatted with her here and there over the years, um, I never got to see her. I knew her more from social media, and I got to meet her for the first time when they had the commissioning ceremony for Angela McShann, who, again, was the first E9, first woman, black woman to make E9. But unfortunately, within the same year, she passed away. She had uh, cancer of the sinuses, and uh, which was very bizarre. Yeah. And uh, we lost her, but they, she was such an inspirational leader that they created the Inspirational Leader, Angela McShann Leadership Award. So, uh, so someone gets it every year, which was amazing. So when they decided to name a cutter after her, that was huge. And I knew, like, you know what, I'm going to, seven hours down and seven hours back, but it's worth every minute on the road <laughs> because I cannot miss this event. And it was almost like a black Coast Guard family reunion. <laughs> uh, I saw people that I hadn't seen for 30 years. And there was, at that time, I was the 11th 
African-American woman to make Master Chief. And there still hasn't been a whole lot since then. You are correct. Um, but out of, I was the 11th, and there were seven of us at this event. So wow. that was huge. I felt like I was on hallowed ground, you know, <laughs> standing on the shoulders of these phenomenal African-American men and women that paved the way for us. You know, it was it was amazing to be there and to be with these, these folks. I'll say really quick, uh, I'm taking a picture with, Master Chief Adawa Hendricks. Uh, she was another one that had made Go Badge, and then she was made and worked for a three star. So she, that was nice. even bigger. So her and I and another African American Master Chief were together. Missy Robinson, retired warrant officer, was about to take a picture of us. And this young African American, I don't know if he was like an E3 or E4, but he walked by us several times. And eventually he said, is there any way I can get a picture of you? And we're not thinking about it while we're taking the pictures. It's like, this guy probably hasn't even seen a black E9, let alone three <laughs> right in front of him. And so Missy Robinson said, how about we do one better? Why don't I take the picture and you get in it? Because he said, I really want to send my mom uh, this photo. So I just thought, I don't know. That was just very emotional to even, you know, think about. I, I, I never saw that when I was, you know, in his shoes. And then to be surrounded by all these leaders, it, it, has, it was motivational and inspirational to me. I can't even imagine being a junior person. Like, I've, this is, where are all these people at? I've never seen this many... <laughs> You know, so it was really, really cool to be there. Very special. Y'all blew that young man's mind. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really neat. As an E4, the first black lady, E9, that I ever saw, made E9 right there at the base that I was at. So, of course, I'm going to go to the ceremony. Uh, you may know who she is because I feel like all of y'all know each other. Her name is Nia Stimley. Uh, she is, an, I think, an either an IT or an IS but she was also the first either IT or IS. I think it's IT. Uh, she was the first IT black lady to make E9 as well. Smart. And she's on the West Coast, right? She is. Or she was on the West Coast? She is. I think she's on the West Coast. I think she's at Petaluma right now. I'm not sure. Uh, she. I'm wondering if she was the one in the photo with us. That's why I'm asking because I know she was, a, she was the person that we took the photo with. She was on the West Coast. I don't know what year that was. <laughs> But maybe it wasn't her, but uh, she, she not made, a lot of us, for sure. She made Master Chief in, I think, 2017. Okay, that might have been her. This was 2019. Okay. <laughs> See, I told I, yeah. I, I got a feeling all y'all know each other. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very yeah. small group. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and Lisa Stockwood knows all of us. She's Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> She's a historian. She really, really is. And also, once again, she's just fun to talk to. I spoke to her like uh-huh. maybe two weeks ago or no, like last week. I spoke to her last week. She's just fun to talk she's to. Awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's say you were just starting your life out on your own and you were presented with the chance to join the service for the first time. Knowing what you know now, would you still join? 100% yes. <laughs> changed my life so for sure you had a pretty phenomenal career in spite of in spite of always being the black person around in your office uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's for sure no thank you it's, it's been 
No complaints. I would definitely join, rejoin again. Right on. I think you may have already answered this next question, but I do have to ask. If you had a daughter or any impressionable black girl in your life that you cared about, and she was considering a life in the military, would you try to talk her out of joining? Would not. Would not. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, our teen girls, uh, we just took them on a excursion, air quotes, to uh, get a tour of one of the new um, fast response cutters here in Boston. I uh, just did, we worked with the recruiting office and got some Coast Guard swag and took them there uh, <laughs> just to kind of introduce them to it. So, yeah, I would definitely, I'm more concerned about women and I want to have more conversations with them than I would the guys. Understandable, in, of but course. I would definitely tell them it's a, it's a, it can be a good career choice. Understandable. All right. <laughs> Recruitment and retention is down across all the branches and with all demographics. Black women are not excluded from that. This was true even before the pandemic. Why do you think black women are so disinterested in joining the military? I think like anyone, it's like, what's in it for me? You know, and Mm -hmm. I think if you don't see a strong, strong representation of yourself, period. I mean, that's a no brainer. I don't think there's enough visibility out there. Uh, and like, even when I was in the honor guard, I mean, they would put me on the front row every time for ceremonies. I know why they did that, you know. It's like, they didn't put Tina on the front row every time, but I was on the front row every time. A figurative name, but uh, but I think it's because there's just not a, I don't think there's a good representation of black women uh, in the Coast Guard, especially on the enlisted side. And so... If people don't see reflections of themselves in an organization, it's like, oh, maybe that one's not for me. Very true. Master Chief, if you were conducting this interview from where I'm sitting, what question would you have asked you that I did not ask you? Hmm. Let me see. I think I thought about that one, too. And I did come up with an answer. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, (laughs) I would say... The question that you didn't ask. <laughs> Let me think for one quick second. I, I knew I should have wrote the answers down. Uh, I had them in my head. Uh, with well, I didn't ask you your f- favorite Beyonce song, so you can tell me that while you're thinking of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would say maybe what's meant, what's meant the most to me okay. um, in my career. Hey, Master Chief, what's and meant the most to you in your career? I would say for sure uh, having my daughter. Right on. And secondly is the amazing opportunities that I've had to meet some incredible people. And I can even learn from the bad leadership as well, but I feel like the Coast Guard changed my life for sure. And I would not have been able to have the opportunities. I might even be the person that I am today if I would have chosen a different path. Very blessed by the people that I've had the opportunity to know and serve with nice so it was an overall good experience definitely that's what's up and master chief you still did not answer uh what your favorite beyonce song was and we're not going to be able to end this phone call until you do (laughs) (laughs) you know what um i think one of my favorite ones which is probably the one that i've listened to the most is oh what's the name of it I can hear it in my head. I dare not sing it uh, and embarrass myself. Uh, uh, Halo, Halo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I could not sing this song. I'm like, you know, if you would have, I would have. 
you know I'm recording this, so I'm just. Don't... I assume so. I assume so. Look, so I'm telling you right now, if you had started singing, that's the part I would have purposely kept in. <laughs> They're like, no, they need to hear this. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, do not bear embarrass yourself, please. Love it. I will tell Beyonce uh, tomorrow. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, but no, that's, that's great. And I will say kind of one of my themes, if I can kind of go for it close yeah. with that is um, years ago, um, I, I used to, co- I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of quotes. Uh, if anybody that has been around me long enough, they know I'm always sharing some quotes. Uh, but I had added one to my email many years ago, and before, I was going to, you know, I do it, but this one I just could not shake. I'm thinking, you know what, I need to keep this one here because not so much for the reader, but for me, because um, it's been kind of something that I've wanted to live by. Uh, but it says, when the sun sets on your life, may it be said that you made a difference. And so for me, I feel like that's what life is about a lot of making a difference and, and making an impact in, in others. So I, I love that quote. And it's so for me, it's a reminder uh, of, you know, refocusing when I get out of focus, you know, making a difference. I love that. And that is a phenomenal quote. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Is, Thank you. Is that what you would like to leave our audience with? Because that is my final question. Is there anything you would like to leave our audience with? not to belabor it, as people say that and then they do it anyway, but I would say the quote that I would leave with uh, is the quote that I was given when I was going through the Chiefs Academy, and it is a phenomenal quote for stepping out of your comfort zone, because I think if you can continue to do that, you can continue to grow, but for anybody that's gone through the Chiefs Academy, they remember the high rope exercises, I remember standing on the telephone pole being scared to death. And the instructor gave us a quote on graduation day. She said, I want you to think about the high rope exercises, and then I want you to think about life. And as she said that, she said, the distance is so frightening from where I am to where I want to be, but because of all that I may become, I will close my eyes and weep. Oh, I love that one. You do have some gems. Thank you for that one. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you. Master Chief, I know that you are a very busy lady and that you have carved out a piece of your schedule just for me in this interview. And thank you so much for that. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're on a, a different time zone. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I'm sure you're tired. No, no, not at all. I went to sleep last night pumped up for this interview. So I was like very like excited to wake up and and be able to conduct it. It's like I get to talk to Rashawn Morris tomorrow, Master Chief. I get to talk to this lady that Tyrone, Master Chief Tyrone Anderson, just, he he blew you up. He's nothing but good Aww. things. Of of course he's going to say a lot of good, a lot of good things. Like that's just the type of person he is. But also being Facebook friends with you is, I, I was pumped for this interview just because I knew who I was about to talk to. <laughs> this Aww, is. <laughs> no, that's very, seriously, that means a that touches my heart big time. Um, and please, when you talk to Tyrone, and I'll send him a message too, but tell him thank you, and I didn't pay him. <laughs> uh, no, Tyrone is awesome. Um, had a chance to serve with him many, many moons ago here in Boston. So, 
and clap taps, you know, on occasion here and there too since then. So, but yeah, he's yeah. a cool dude. Tell him thank you. <laughs> he is. He's awesome. <laughs> so thank and you. You have too for doing what you do. I think this is fantastic. Thank you so much, Master Chief. I do appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to go ahead and let you get back to your day then, Miss okay. Miss Busy Lady. <laughs> and- yes, yes. Thank you so much. And please, continue. I'm going to stay up on, on what, you, what you post because I think, again, I think it's phenomenal. Thank uh, you. And I will continue to share that in different threads so that, you know, just brings more visibility and encourage and hopefully inspires others with what you're doing. So, I appreciate so. it. I, hey, I post yeah, every week, so you got a couple episodes to, to share with your friends. Oh, awesome. That sounds great. Well, enjoy your weekend, and I'm sure I will see you online. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Okay, take care. You do the same, Master Chief. All right. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye now. And to our audience, I would also like to bid you a farewell And goodbye now. And that concludes this episode of the Season Vet Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And a special thank you to Command Master Chief Rashawn Morris for sharing her story and taking the time to make this interview possible. Now, if you are or know a Black Lady veteran who would like to sit down with me and be a part of the show, please email me at seasonvetpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call or text message me at 713-254-0970. You can also find, follow, and inbox me, The Season Vet, across all platforms of social media. At Real Season Vet on Twitter. At Season Vet Podcast on Instagram. At Season Vet Podcast on TikTok. At Season Vet on YouTube. Season Vet on Facebook. Y'all, I'm so out there, I'm even on Spoutable. That's at The Season Vet on Spoutable. Now, if you like what you heard, please like it, share it, rate it, and leave a good review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you're hearing this episode on the day that it drops, then you're listening to it on September 18th, 2023, the 53rd anniversary of the passing of legendary rock star Jimi Hendrix. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, fall out. (laughs) 